Reaching Tax Flow podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Welcome, everybody, back to your favorite tax-related podcast, wherever you are listening to this. Welcome to the party. So before we jump into today's topic, episode 68, our 2024 IRS updates from none other than one of our favorite returning guests here on the show. Let's take a brief moment, as always, and thank our episode sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Legacy Lock. If you are new to estate planning or simply need to review your current plan, Legacy Lock makes it as easy as pie. Legacy Lock is a unique platform that enables you to easily complete your attorney-drafted documents conveniently from the comfort of your home or office. Your first step to this peace of mind is simply visiting teachingtaxflow.com legacy. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Teaching Tax Flow podcast. If you read the show notes, looked at the title, or depending on where you're listening to this at, looked at who the guest is on our show, very unique name in a good way. Probably looks familiar to you. Hopefully, if you haven't yet, go back. Episode 38, believe it or not, IRS War Stories we did with this gentleman, which is going all the way back to last July. So right after the holiday, Andrew Poulos is back on with us. But before we let this man give us the best updates, or I should say the updates to the IRS as far as for 2024, I guess we should say hello to my partner in crime, Chris Picuro. What's happening, buddy? How are we today? Ravi T. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. You know, AI is a big thing now, right? As everybody knows. And, you know, we do all of our own production, all of our own editing of this show. Um, I will honestly say that I did not duplicate Chris's voice and put it on when he says that. I think he may genuinely mean that, that he, no, you know what? He's full of crap. Let's skip on. Let's get out of the good stuff. Andrew, what's happening, man? Let's talk about these IRS updates. What's going on, guys? Happy New Year to you. Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. We, I know we talk all the time. We're not only an amazing tax practitioner, but a good friend. And if you're my age, AI was Allen Iverson uh, as a basketball player. But I guess there's a new AI in town now. Man, so- something's got to be rewarded now, right? <laughs> AI, the old AI is gone. The a- new AI is in. So you know, it's a transition to to, to good uh, good changes in the future. I think. Oh my gosh, listen to these guys. Listen to these guys going on. So let, let's look at this. So we've talked about on previous podcasts, right? We've talked about the IRS. I think at that time we were talking about war stories. We've talked about, you know, we've referred to them as Darth Vader, not in a completely mean way, but, you know, getting notice letters. There's a lot of things. And I, I think there might be a lot of confusion. Maybe, I mean, I'm pretty sure people know what the IRS is and what they do. But as far as for getting into 2024, so. Obviously, some things have changed. I'm sure, I'm, I, I don't know the answer to it, but I'm sure there had been some things that may have, maybe have been on the horizon that they were working towards that maybe they tabled, maybe some stuff they got you know, coming up this year. Just an overview, what might a taxpayer be looking at as far as for what in the world the IRS is up to as of today that we know about? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a lot of changes going on, right? Uh, as far as our uh, profession and the, uh, the IRS itself, uh, changes that they're making. Look, they're, they're undoubtedly they got uh, more in the budget, you know, more in the code for us that the uh, that Congress has given them over the next you know, seven to ten years. They're starting to beef up um, with their budgets, personnel, um, you know, firepower, essentially, right? So as they beef up, you can expect more notices to be fired out. 
Uh, they'll be a bit more aggressive uh, with trying to collect. Of course, Congress wants them to collect, uh, uh, you know, money. I think we've got, what, probably hundreds of billions in, in uh, tax gap, which is money that's not collected, that's sitting out there that taxpayers owe. So undoubtedly, you know, look, you know, from a psychological uh, perspective, uh, human nature, you know, unless someone comes after you, if you owe, you're not going to probably voluntarily go out and pay most likely, right? When they come knocking on the door, you know, you got to figure out a solution to your problem. I mean, I think that's just goes to, to say that's just how people usually operate. A lot of people will be proactive, but a lot will just, you know, kind of lay low, um, either because they don't have the money, uh, they have other problems going on in life, um, you know, and so they got multiple things to juggle and they'll just leave the IRS uh, as the last uh, last item on the list to be attended to. Uh, but when a notice is start coming out at some point, you know, then you've got to take action. So I think we're going to start seeing more uh, people coming back into the pipeline, essentially, meaning that people who have either fallen off the bandwagon um, are in the system, but just owe uh, for back taxes and others that are catching up. And with that, that entails, we're going to start seeing the IRS, you know, floodgates open up with a bunch of notices coming into 2024 and, of course, going out into 25 in future years. You mean they're really living up to their name of the Internal Revenue Service. Their job is to keep the dollars flowing in one direction. Although, what we talk a lot about on Teaching Taxfall, right? And Chris Chris says this very, very well. Is actually, I'll let him say it. Chris, what's there? How would you describe the relationship with the IRS? Right. Well, we say tax agencies are your involuntary business partners. So, meaning um, tax laws are written to encourage and discourage certain behavior. Couple of things, Andrew. You know, I, I I think that the increased amount allocated to the IRS for enforcement, um, there's some negatives, right? I think we're going to have a lot more tax notices. I want to get your take on uh, what you think the you know the financial commitment is going to be towards is John and all seriousness AI and software because um, a lot of those tax notices are automatically generated based on what's on your tax record versus what has been reported on your tax return. Um, I actually think that, you know, especially as a practitioner, as you know, and for for taxpayers, the IRS is almost impossible to get a hold of. Um, I had, we have a client in a private CPA practice. We set up a meeting uh, for them, you know, to, uh, to go on the IRS website, you know, helping them through a payment plan. And twice the, the chat popped up and said, hey, we're happy to help. And twice, uh, you put your, some information and it says, oh, sorry, we're not available. Talk, ask us later. So in some ways, the funding could help um, resolve tax issues for, for taxpayers in some ways. Um, so like my question is, do you see there being a commitment towards technology with the IRS and, and personnel? And then are there any benefits to the IRS having more resources? Yeah, listen, I, I think they're there's the good, the bad, and the ugly with everything, right? So with more, uh, with with bigger budgets, uh, it comes higher enforcement. Um, you've got more personnel. You've got software and AI that are coming into the equation. You know, I mean, the world's constantly changing. Uh, so, you know, we as practitioners cannot help our clients uh, properly until the IRS, you know, steps up to the table and does their part, which is answer phone calls. Uh, without us having to wait on hold for two hours just to figure out that, you know, they answered and would get disconnected. I mean, that's just unacceptable things that, that have, you know, been going on for years. Um, they're still challenged coming off the pandemic. I mean, we've got, you know, for example, notices that we're receiving for clients 
where they're you know alleging the taxpayers owe, for example, payroll tax dollars that truly have been paid in. We'll send off a letter with complete support and documentation, and then sixty or ninety days later, we'll get a letter back saying, "Hey, if you want to correct your nine forty one tax return, file an amended you know return." It's like, what did you guys not read the letter? We put it in black and white all the tax deposits when they were paid. So you're going to have those challenges. It's gotten to the point where someone like me who deals with you know, tax resolution work, tax representation. Uh, at some point, um, for certain cases, I have to, in, you know, enlist the help of taxpayer advocate. Um, you know, and so that becomes challenging because they're so backlogged. It, it literally, the, the last case I had to take to taxpayer advocate, which kind of was, you know, sort of a life and death situation. I mean, and by that I mean that it was a taxpayer that we had done an OIC for um, five years ago, and on the fifth year, which was last year. And we filed their tax return timely on April 15th or 16th, whenever the deadline was. Um, we got confirmation. The IRS says they never got it. They couldn't even find the file in the system. That's scary. And so they proposed, they sent out a threatening letter uh, proposing to terminate the client's OIC. It's like, wait a minute here. So I tried to make sense of it, called the IRS, finally got through. They're like, yeah, we never even see this coming in our system, never rejected, never nothing. I said, what do you mean? You just, you know, you, the file's just gone missing in action in thin air. So long story short, I had to enlist uh, a taxpayer advocate. Guys, it took almost 120 days from start to finish with taxpayer advocate. It took almost eight weeks just for them to reach out to me. Okay. Taxpayer advocate. It took almost eight weeks just for a taxpayer advocate to be assigned to the case, reach out to me. We finally got it resolved, right? Once they got involved, which probably would not have been resolved without taxpayer advocate, but it literally, I, from since June, late June, I just resolved it, you know, basically right before Christmas. I mean, this is unacceptable stuff going on. So I'm hoping that the positive with in, increased budgets is that, you know, we'll get better assistance and better results. Um, of course, with that, you know, you can expect more letters to go out. You can expect more taxpayers to have to become compliant. Um, and get into the system and, and do their part. Um, so, yeah, do I see challenges? Absolutely. I think the challenges will continue. The new commissioner, I've heard him speak at the tax forums last year. Um, he had said that they still had several million amended returns to go through and process. I mean, yeah, so they're still challenged. I don't know how this tax season is going to go, uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, we're at a point where it's frustrating as a professional because we're trying to help our clients and we can't do our job, and then our clients are thinking that we're just not helping them, right? So it's just a, a stressful situation. And when you mentioned OIC, I'm, I'm going to assume that that's an offer and compromise, correct? Done on a client's behalf? Yes, OIC or, offer and compromise. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, correct. An offer and compromise. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, that's the challenging part is we, you know, we say in our private practice all the time, hey, we need chocolate chips to make chocolate chip cookies. In other words, if a client's asking about, uh, uh, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? Yeah, we can, but we need the ingredients. It's hard to help a client and represent a client, you know, where you are a national expert and uh, when you can't get access to the taxing authority that you're you're representing your client for. Um, I think that, yeah, there, if there was, you know, it's nice now that we could do many of the amended returns like electronically file the amended returns, which is a huge um, advantage. It's very frustrating, uh, not to interrupt, but even that, right? If you look at it, we can only go back two years to file them in a return. So why not, you know, make it three, four, five years, make it, you know, it's much easier for the government and for us as professionals to e-file. Everything is processed. You leave out the human error factor of it. You know, it's just, so why not go back? I mean, why only two years? It's, it's stuff like that. It becomes frustrating. 
you know, um, or just two years to file a, a, a back return on filed return, right? Your current year and two previous years. Why not make it three or four or five years? It, 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 we will we'll alleviate so much of this, you know, paper and backlog. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of moving into technology age is to get rid of, you know, paper and, and, and the human era and the processing times. Um, you know, I mean, have you seen the scanners that the IRS uses to scan these paper returns? They get mailed into them, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think you got to think that they're, they're, they're ten, yeah, no, they're 10 years behind um, at a minimum. So they're, they're like, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're like part of Europe uh, listening to pop music, right? They're not Swifties like John. Uh, they're listening to old Taylor Swift, not the new stuff. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we had it come in. <laughs> there it play. is. There hey, it is. Hey, John, they oh haven't my even gosh. started playing pickleball yet, right? It's, you know, they don't even know it exists um, in Europe. You nope. Know, and when it does, I'm sure you'll be over there teaching teaching lessons. So speaking of speaking of dates, so if um if I heard you right there, so the the limitations on doing an amended return, um if anybody's wondering what that is, obviously a ton of information out there. Um, that's two years, correct? Is that still still two years to be able to file an amended return? No, but to file electronically is what I was referencing to. Um, being able to file versus versus basically having to paper file, send it in, certified mail, and and wait six or nine months or a year for it to get processed. Right? I was referring to just the electronic portion of us being able to file, not not that there's a two year statute. Gotcha, gotcha. So that basically follows similar because what is it? The the general statute of limitations for the IRS is three years still, correct? As far as for assessing any taxes. So that so dumb question with that. So and and I can't remember where we had this conversation with somebody. It might have been with a friend of ours in the past couple of weeks. They, I, I believe their situation was kind of unique. They had filed a couple of years, did it for a couple of years, filed again, then didn't again for a couple of years. So taking that unique scenario, um, again, I don't, I don't know all the details of it, but when there's that, st- that, so that statute of limitations of three years, is that basically saying like, hey, you know what? If you didn't file taxes 12 years ago and then you did and you haven't gotten a notice, they're not going to, is there a, okay, you're safe, they forgot about you in there or is that, kind of in reference of you mentioned earlier on about them staffing up. They're finally going to be catching up on themselves. Can they go back, you know, beyond that statue of that three years and really start to get their act together? Yes. Yes and no, right? Yes. Typically, so typically what we have seen in the past, does the past doesn't predict the future, but in the past, if we have a taxpayer who's just not filed forever, you know, 10, 12 years, 15, whatever the case is, usually, usually um, if it gets assigned to, for example, if you file one year, the most recent year, and, and you have a balance due, and you can't pay, then it'll go to collections, and you'll be doing pro- potentially with a revenue officer. Um, revenue officer obviously is going to have to do their due diligence and go back and figure out, well, hey, we got a taxpayer here who hasn't, he just filed, got in the system, hasn't filed the last 10 years. It's depending upon uh, the, the revenue officer and the government, really. Usually what we see is they'll go back six years, unless they have a reason to go back further. Um, if it's a wage earner, meaning someone who's W-2 uh, employee, usually they'll go back six years. Um, and then just leave it at that. If it's someone who's self-employed and just been making a ton of money and just has never filed, then the government sees dollars, you know, potential for dent to collect dollars, of, of course, and and uh, and penalties and interest. Then yeah, they could, you know, they could force you to go back, you know, uh, ten years, twelve years, whatever they want. But typically, they'll they'll limit it to six years for the most part, right? And so you got to take that with a grain of salt because every case is different. Um, and and you know, like I tell clients when I take on tax resolution work. You know, my past experience and my past cases don't predict, you know, the results that I can provide potentially for your case, right? It's just, it's all individual case by case uh, work that we deal with when it comes to dealing anything outside of the scope of just preparation. Well, and what, 
what we want to talk about also is, in your opinion, no, we don't have a crystal ball. We have a good friend of the show and and uh, crystal ball, but uh, so she would appreciate our, our shout out. But uh, we don't have a crystal ball. But what what are the enforcement areas that you see? Obviously, reading the tea leaves in our current landscape, the uh, you know employee retention credit uh, claim. I see some enforcement coming down on uh, EV, you know, vehicle credits that may not have uh, been properly taken. Um, you know, so where will you know we've got employer employment versus independent contractor? Yeah, what are you thinking? I think Chris, the hot stuff that we're seeing, um, you know, I'm seeing probably as you're seeing, and many others are in in the profession on our side as professionals. We can expect enforcement on EVs, electric vehicle credits, um, you know, and, and partly because there was just been a lot of confusion, right, uh, with uh, which cars qualify for which years. You know, Tesla was, okay, it qualifies, and two years later it doesn't, now it does again. Oh, no, we don't want it this year. We'll have it, you know, we'll put it back on a, on a calendar next year. So it's been there's been a lot of confusion and, and issues with that. Uh, that's, uh, and I believe from what I'm seeing, that they're actually doing a project on that. A project means that they're systematically just going, and they're been doing um, auditing a uh, certain number of returns of any return tax return that has that qualifies with this element of it, meaning with an EV credit, right? Um, so you could be just an unlucky one getting audited really just because it's a project and, and your tax return has, you know, a certain element um, that they're auditing. Uh, so that's one thing in the, uh, the ERC, employee retention credits, man, you know, that's, that's, you know, hot right now it's been super hot yeah just so much fraud we got all these mills that popped up during covid like hey we're the experts here you know forget about us tax professionals right all of a sudden we have someone who's never done a tax return in their life and they're the tax professional they're the experts in the erc uh they're telling folks you qualify you qualify because it was a government shutdown no the irs specifically said just a government shutdown is not going to qualify you better have a better you know reason to support your erc claim so that's going to be a you know a nightmare for both the irs moving forward and for taxpayers, small businesses who have claimed ERC. Uh, worker classification, right? I always reference it as worker classification. I've authored a lot of articles and presented on this topic. Uh, so for me, it's just, uh, it's uh, for some, it's a dry, boring topic. For me, I, I find it interesting. But worker classification, meaning employee versus independent contractor. Yeah, right. The good old handshake that we always hear. Well, you know, me and the guy, just Andrew, we we just decided that, you know, he's going to be independent contractor. He'll take care of his own taxes. No, it doesn't quite work like that. Right. There's rules. There's laws we have to abide by, you know, 20 common factor laws, um, you know, and a lot of that stuff, you know, what folks and even a lot of practitioners don't know is that most, not all, but most of your classification issues with worker classification don't start at the federal level. They start at the local level, at the state level, you know, right, with the labor department. That's where they begin. The feds in most states, not all, but the majority of states have a contract in place where they share results in exchange for tax dollars. And so, therefore, basically, your biggest, you know, threat in getting caught, if you're doing it wrong, is at the state level. And if it's a big enough case, then you probably can expect, you know, the feds to come in afterwards, right, and audit you, the IRS, uh, it could step in. You know, one thing you, people have to understand, and the IRS has specifically said, you know, that uh, with the federal labor department and labor departments, that they're going to increase enforcement. It's a low-hanging fruit, similar like reasonable comp for escorts that we're all worried about. I mean, it, this is probably just as much, if not more, of a low, low-hanging fruit for the government. You know, you turn around, I mean, I think, Chris, we'd be hard-pressed to say that from small business returns that we do, 
that probably the majority of them don't have some form of contract labor. Even if they have W-2 employees, they still have some form of contract labor. Whether they're classified correctly or not is you know not the point today. But what I'm saying is every return just about has some form of contract labor on it. So there's some exposure for the majority of these returns that we prepare in the majority of these small business owners. And so if you get it wrong, you know, there's no three-year statute here. Oh, like the government can only go back three years. It's like, oh no, they can go back, you know, they can go back way back in the days if they want. Well, they, you know, that's incumbent upon the government and how much money is on the table. So, you know, I think those who are doing it wrong need to tighten up because that's going to be some huge exposure moving forward, you know, with audits. And when, you know, when it starts getting out there, then people are going to get scared and they're going to start talking, you know, they're all traditional thing. Oh, my buddy got busted, you know, got audited, my neighbor, whatever. Right. So I think that's, that's something that we have to as professionals um, have to address with our clients. Well, and that's, yeah, I would agree though. You know, there are subs, we know the 1099, the, not to bring up Taylor again, but the 10, what I call the Taylor Swift, uh, uh, <laughs> concert rule, the 1099 K law got kicked. Um, you know, I think the 1099, uh, thresholds are rather punitive personally. Um, but, but they're there, you know, and, the penalties uh, for not issuing these and the backup withholding fall on the hands of the person paying the money. And I agree with Andrew that our worker classification is going to is going to continue to be a big issue um, because, quite frankly, if you have ten subcontractors you failed to give a ten ninety nine to, you know the government doesn't want to chase those ten people around. And if you own a business, you might have more resources to collect from. Well, not only that, right? you get into you get into elements of trust fund penalties and trust fund, right? They can, the government is just a whole lot easier for the government to attach uh, the business owner and chase after, you know, business owner who has, may have assets that they can go after him or her personally, than it is to chase 10, 20 other people who they know they're going to have a hard time, right? You know, if, if these contractors, independent contractors, these subs haven't filed, you know, chances are, you know, the government knows statistically speaking that they can have a hard time collecting from them and it's not worth, you know, the efforts potentially for them to go make them file and then chase them for tax dollars. Whereas to, you know, on the employer side, on the business side, they can pursue it, get it potentially under willful negligence um, to where they go back as many years as they want. And then they get, you know, the trust fund portion, the employer portion of the taxes, right? So it's just, it's a very interesting uh, law that can become very dangerous. And, and it's oftentimes, um, you know, when people get in trouble, it can easily put you out of business if you're not careful. Absolutely. <clears throat> excuse me. Excuse me. So it sounds like a lot of the things that we're seeing in 2024 are, it is a lot of carryover from previous years. And now this year, we're kind of seeing where things are flowing. Obviously there's new things, you know, like we mentioned, you know, the ERC, I mean, that's been, that was like a, that's an awful story, I think, for how good marketers are sometimes, right? Like you mentioned, these guys are all of a sudden running commercials, have no idea what they're doing. They hired a spokesperson and they're the expert. Pretty unfortunate. We did a great podcast on that. Um, I do want to touch on one quick thing before we wrap up, too. I mean, obviously, Andrew, we're we're excited. We've been working with you. You and Chris have known each other for a long time. Um, we're going to be launching some some products, for lack of better terms, where people can go directly through our website um, and actually have access to some of the things that are out there that, you know, IRS representation, um, et cetera, et cetera, that they may have not had in the previous years. But I, I, I say that only as a preface to, you know, we've had multiple conversations about the IRS specifically, people's perception of them and really how it's awful, right? Like you, you touched on, again, multiple conversations, multiple podcasts we've done here, as well as on our other show, the Mr. R show, which is more specific towards tax pros. 
is that it really boils down to the relationship you have with these IRS agents, right? So you had mentioned on on the one conversation I'm thinking of specifically, you have such great rapport with them that sometimes you can keep keep the situation from just spiraling into a, you know, the taxpayer is going to lose at the end of the day anyways. There's always some... Co- there's always some compromise in there. Just having mutual respect across the board. It's like going into the best analogy I can make of that, right? Is it's like um, I don't know if like MMA or but like boxing. You think of like old time boxing. You know they go into this like guns a blazing, but then at the end of it, you know one guy may be bleeding from the face, but they they respect each other. They handshake it out. They go their separate ways, and and that's it, right? Like that. That's what comes to me visually when you talk about just having and maintaining a good professional relationship with the IRS. Yeah. When you deal, listen, when you got, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and, and so John, when you deal with tax resolution, tax representation, whatever you want to refer to it as, um, and, and you do it, you know, frequently, you know, it's part of your practice, you know, in your area, your demographic, you know, area, you got to deal t- most times with the same, you know, professionals on the other side, you know, and I call professionals, um, you know, some are, some don't act as professionals and others are, are very easy and, and, and accommodating to work with, but revenue officers and revenue agents, right? Um, if you deal with, in, in the scope of work, you're going to deal with, you know, over and over most of the same people. They get to know you, you get to know them. You know their quirks, they know your quirks, right? You know, um, you know, so sometimes you push their buttons, they push your buttons, but at the end of the day, you know, the objective is, to get resolution for the client's case, for the taxpayer's case. Um, so yeah, I've had cases where I've dealt with the same revenue agents on, uh, on multiple audits, um, saying, you know, uh, revenue officers, revenue officers here in Atlanta, for example, I mean, you know, there's the staffing or office, for example, right? And Powers Ferry office, those are two main offices, you know, a lot of those guys in there know me, you know, it's like, you know, someone one day was like, hey, you know, I got a case going on, you know, and the other revenue officers like, you know, with who they're like, Andrew, oh, Andrew Poulos. Yeah, you know, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have a good time working with him. Just, just don't push his buttons because, you know, basically, you know, uh, he'll take action, right? So, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I as a professional represent the taxpayer and I don't let, you know, my clients get run over, you know, run out and get thrown under the bus, um, you know, and, and so you got to know the laws, you got to basically be professional and you got to get a resolution. Uh, but there's times when you can't come to an agreement. So there's options out there for taxpayers that you've got to know. And that sometimes is filing a CDP, kicking it out of the revenue officer's hands. Or if you got a, uh, you know, a, um, uh, a, a, an exam, an audit, you know, and you can't come to terms with the, with the revenue agent, you know, you work it enough, then the strategy might be you going into it. And I think Chris and I have dealt with this before going into it. We know that we got to mitigate risk for the taxpayer. So we create a strategy that we work it enough, but basically the end result we know going into it is we want to go to appeals because we're going to get a better shake, you know, but for, for, for the taxpayer than if we deal with the revenue agent, whether we know the revenue agent or we don't, right? So this strategy to everything is I've said before in previous, you know, shows that we've done, it's always about strategy. You know, it's what strategy do you develop as a professional to get the best possible results for your client? Sometimes, listen. You know, sometimes it's filing a CDP because you know you're not going to be able to get anywhere with the revenue officer, um, you know, whether they're difficult to work with or not, uh, or for whatever case, you're trying to buy some time, you know, to go to, uh, to appeals for a collection case because you can get a better deal there, for example, right? You know, based on your previous experience. So there's so much strategy involved, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, Chris and I were having a beer, what, a couple of years ago, you were in Atlanta, <laughs> you had come in town so we can film a show. 
for financial smarts that I was uh, uh, working on. And we were out having beers like, man, I got a, got a case. You know, what do you think? I'm like, oh, this is stuff I love, right? So we were tired and drank, eating some wings, you know, at the bar. And I'm like, dude, you, what are you going to? What are you gonna do? He's like, guys, oh, like this is you know involves X, Y, Z, and I'm like, oh, this should be your strategy. He's like, things gonna work. I'm like, 100. You know, I think what you got, you got the, you know, the, you mitigated the risk that you were trying to mitigate on the client, right? So it's it's partly fun for us, right? Those of us who do it, um, and you know, and 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 partly getting the results, you know. And there's no for me, there's no better satisfaction as a professional uh, beyond the money that we're out to make, of course, as a living, but to get the results pretty much and see a client who's satisfied now. Right. And you know, that you would help someone uh, who otherwise would probably get thrown under the bus by the government if they were representing themselves or if they went somewhere that, that tax preparer professional wasn't schooled enough to be able to help. Right. And that's, you know, to, to wrap it up, one thing, collection due process, I believe is a CDP. I could be wrong. Um, and the other thing is one of the, positives of maybe the IRS having more resources and, and I give them a little bit of empathy here is having more training for the for the stormtroopers out there for the 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 auditors people on the front lines because a lot of times those folks are inexperienced um and they are very to let's say it bluntly they're rigid and and you know to to, to prevent that if you could resolve the, the the examination or the tax notice with your first point of contact, that would save everyone a lot of time. But unfortunately, that's just not how they're structured right now. And no, no, it's it, look, it's tough, right? Like you said, a lot of them are new. We started as new in our profession at some point, you know, right? Almost thirty years ago. I mean, we just you know we all start from somewhere. Um, but you know, like I've, I've been fortunate that I got invited a couple of years ago, and I made be getting invited again from what i heard over to the atlanta office where they did a round table uh for new revenue officers all the new trainees and they brought in a panel of tax professionals from uh, the metro atlanta area i think there was four of us uh so we can meet them they can meet us and basically what they want us to do is explain to these revenue officers our challenges from our side so they can understand our side most of them have never worked on our side right so they don't understand and when and we don't want them coming knocking on the door you know, unannounced and, you know, and, and being, I don't want to put this out wrong, but effectively having them being bullies, right? Because you're not supposed to be that. You're supposed to be a professional. You're supposed to follow the law. You're supposed to do your job. Most of them do, but there's an exception to the rule with everything in, in life, right? And we're even on our side, pretty much. You got great tax professionals, and then you got some who just, you know, aren't so great, don't follow the law. Same thing on their side. Um, so I enjoyed it because I got to meet a lot of these, you know, folks that I would be working with potentially in the future and just, you know, you a face and a, and a name together, right? So, um, you know, once they know you, sometimes it's just a whole lot easier. They're, you know, they ease up a little bit from being so hardcore um, and intimidating in a sense, right? Because there's laws, there's, you know, you got, uh, you know, notice of intent to lobby. Well, you got a collection due process rights, um, you know, and so, and you know who's going to work with you and who's not. You got a revenue officer that you've had, you know, bad relationship with in the past. Well, you know that there's just no sense in working with them because you're not going to accomplish anything for your taxpayer. So there's, you know, it's all about relationships, you know, and the, and the more you deal in this field and the scope of work in this relationship based, you get to know them, you get to know who you're going to work with, who you're not, how you're going to represent your taxpayer and move it along. But, you know, it's just, we can expect more of that stuff and, you know, and tax pros have to be, you know, well-versed with these letters, the LT11, the L 1058, 1058, you know, the CP2000 notices, you got to know what time limits there are, what options you have. Because a lot of times there is a strategy is, okay, well, we don't, you know, we want to follow a collection due process here. And why? Because we know that we're going to get a better shake. 
with appeals and we're going to basically buy it two years before it comes up or a year or nine months or whatnot, right? There's, I've, I've had successful resolutions where the statute ran out on the government on cases that were towards the end because we filed a collection due process hearing, but we filed it late. Yeah, so there's elements of that, and people would see out here and said, You filed it late, you know, wow, you know, you're running the risk. Well, you know, you discuss the risks with the taxpayer, and you ultimately the taxpayer makes a decision. But, you know, we've had a, uh, during the pandemic, um, just to not run over and then tangent, you know, I had a taxpayer who owed some money. She, two years, um, each year had different statutes, but it was towards the end. I think there was like seven years left on one, maybe eight years on the other. And I said, Listen, I said, you know, Let's file it for a collection due process. We weren't going to get the IRS on the phone anyway at that point. And um, and so I said, you know, this is, I think this should be a strategy. Uh, we filed it late by one day. Uh, she goes, what does that tell me? And I said, you know, I said, it's a CDP, collection due process. We file it late, um, effectively, and it doesn't toll the statute, right? And so, but they could also levy on you. She goes, where's the chances? I said, the only thing lady was retired, had social security. I said, probably unlikely, not that it's not possible, but unlikely. I said, but it, it you know doesn't toll the statute, which means while we're waiting for this case to get docketed in and gets assigned to an appeals officer for this collection case, that essentially the statute's continuing to run on the government. If I had filed it timely, the statute would toll. So if it took the government three years to bring this up, basically they just bought another three years. And you know what? It actually went to a. It finally got to an appeals officer for a CDP. Um, we had three months left on the one stat, uh, one uh, on one statute and about a year left on the other. And, and I'm on the phone for, with the case. <laughs> I remember and the, and, the, and the appeals officer says, Mr. Poulos, um, we're talking through it and everything. She goes, Mr. Poulos, she's like, she goes, uh, she goes, I see that um, the statute's been running. She goes, this has been a late file CDP. She goes, did you intentionally do this? And I'm like, goof, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what do I tell this lady, right? Uh, you know, uh, there was silence and then she kind of knew I wasn't going to answer. She goes, I'll tell you what, she goes, you did an amazing job. She goes, for your class, she goes, and if I was on your side, she goes, I would have done the same thing, right? And she helped me. I said, listen, I said, we want a, 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 you know, a CMC, currently non-collectible. I said, the taxpayer doesn't have the ability to pay. She's retired. This is old debt from whom she was married on a joint return. And uh, she gave us what we wanted. She said, you know, there's no point really. She goes, and not doing a CNC. She goes, you got three year, three months left on once a year for the statute. And she goes, and nine or 10 months or a year left on the other one. She goes, this will just run out and, and expire. She goes, you did an amazing job. She goes, you know, the case is concluded, right? So I got the taxpayer what they wanted, but it was all, I'm going back to what was it? The strategy, right? You got to discuss the options and the risks with the client, let them make the, the decision and basically, you know, execute the strategy when you can. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you again for joining us, man. I think looking at, you know, I can't, for one, I can't believe that it's 2024 already. Like it's, it's wild, but. Dude, time flies, man. Let me look. Yeah. I got more gray hair than I had last year. I mean, Chris, you know, Chris keeps it minimal. So you can't tell his age. I mean, he looks 30 still. So. <laughs> oh, geez. That's not, that's that, you know, this was recorded after happy hour, obviously. No, but thank you. And, 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 and it's interesting because these war stories that we can, uh, are important. Uh, because what we're seeing is there is going to be more IRS enforcement. A, a opportunity to strategize is going to be more important. And, and be aware of it and make sure that you have the proper representation is, is absolutely. And, and start start preventing the problem before it's a problem. Make sure that you are reporting on your income and, and sharing as much information as you can with, with your tax profession. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, Chris. It's you know, basically being proactive versus reactive is is, is key uh, in this business for, and for taxpayers. Sure. And two things just to just to wrap us out and, and close out the show here, Andrew. You mentioned there, you know, strategy. As we always talk about strategy, and and I've experienced it with you, and I've seen and I've heard fantastic things about 
just the relationship that you got, you and Chris have had and client relationships. It, I think it goes without saying, right? Strategy and experience go hand in hand. So, so that's awesome to hear. You awesome to see that that's actually the case in this. But then also for our listeners as well too, just to recap and, and reiterate that that was a fantastic, excellent or uh, excellent example that you gave there about the IRS bringing in for new revenue officers tax pros so they can meet. I think, and, and me as, as a tax buyer, I'm not a tax pro like you gentlemen, is it's almost like an added sense of comfort that the that the federal government is doing, that they're trying to do something and at least bringing people together in that sense, instead of saying, you know, hey, we're going to hire a bunch of revenue officers and, you know, here's your equipment, go to battle. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the case. So that's excellent to hear. No, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I know I enjoyed it and I was glad that they did that. And they're talking about possibly doing it again now from what I'm hearing, you know, because they, you know, we need to understand their side and they need to understand our side, right? It's a two-way street, man, here. It's it's not, you know, the government can't just do what they want to run over people and, and taxpayers feel like they're doing that. And when you get to that point, that's when we have problems in, you know, in the world and in society, right? Taxpayers don't want to be compliant. They're like, well, heck, you know, I mean. You know, they're dropping bombs pretty much overseas, using my money for that or whatever. You know, the taxpayer feels disgruntled, so they they don't want to be compliant because they're like, well, what's the point? You know, like, I'm just paying taxes. I'm not getting any benefit out of it. You know, these revenue officers, revenue agents, you know, they're just out to throw me under the bus. So it just makes a whole lot more sense long term if there's sort of a relationship there, whether it's part of their training, that's up for the government to decide. But I think there needs to be, you know, some relationship between their side and our side in order for us to be able to function um, and work together in with the work that we do as professionals. Excellent. Well, thank you both gentlemen for joining us on this. I know this is one of our longer shows, but we anticipated that. Lots of good information. Again, anybody who's listening to this, Andrew has been a fantastic resource for us on multiple levels, as well as yourselves in the audience. Um, this may be about as close as you could possibly get to having an insight into the IRS. Um, I mean, we already know you can't just call them up and and have a conversation with them. So so go back, share this with your friends. Um, hopefully you got a little little bit of comedy throughout the process here to, to lighten up the subject. But as I always like to close these shows out, as you know, if you are an avid listener and subscriber, if you're not, then this is new to you. Shame on you. You haven't been here before. Subscribe so you get the next shows. We will see you back here, same time, same place, next week here on the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast. John here from the Teaching Tax Flow team. Thank you, Andrew, for hanging out with us here on this episode, looking at the IRS, what's happening in their world, efforts they're making to really kind of uh, not break the mold, but well, I will say bridge the gap between the uh, federal government, the IRS, and the taxpayer. So we went into some great topics. Um, obviously, we talked about a lot there. And I look forward to doing these again. I mean, obviously, something that we touched on there, the IRS is making a very conscious effort, it appears, to kind of ease that transition or ease the uh, the gap, bridge the gap, you know, less muddy the waters, I guess we could say, and build the relationship between those that work for the IRS and the taxpayers, which, just saying, me as a taxpayer, I appreciate that greatly. So excited to hear that. And honestly, we look forward to having Andrew back and touching on this really as the year progresses and obviously in years to come, I think it's uh, it's a great topic to look at and probably the closest we can get in a lot of cases to really having a deeper insight into how, how the IRS is handling things, right? We talked about technology, budgeting, etc. So 
I appreciate everybody's time for joining us on this episode. Andrew and Chris, thank you as always, as I mentioned, and we look forward to doing it again. So see everybody back here next week. New topic. Let's do it. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum.